Jackson. I'm so happy you decided to help me with this project. It's you, really passion of mine, and you, I appreciate it. You know, uh, you know, just say passion, and this is matters to you, and I'm there, dude. I mean, you're really vague about what we were doing here. So, uh, well, I know you care about conservation. You really love living here in Maine, mm-hmm. and I think that I, I assumed, hopefully, rightfully, that you wanted to help increase the population of a long forgotten animal that used to live here okay are we talking about caribou no are we talking um, about red wolves come right over here and uh right here this is my box of dodos a box of dodos yep and so um this is a big box whoa dodos are much bigger than i thought they'd be oh they're huge can you please get those collars that are over there we're gonna put the coda we're gonna put these collars on these dodos this right here this is benjamin hi benjamin yeah he's good oh be careful he does bite okay yeah no i see he's got a very i i you know i always see pictures of these their heads are much bigger than you realize and their necks are so scrawny i'm gonna distract him and you put the collar on okay Okay, hey, should Benjamin. I? Like, should over I? Here. Hey, yes, very good. You're right, such come a here. good boy. Ah! Yes, there we go. Oh, oh. oh God, Jackson! Oh, his neck snapped. Hello. Welcome to a bad time. It's homegrown. That was fun. You like that one? That was pretty, uh, yeah, we synchronized pretty well on that one. I'm B, a co-host. I'm Jackson, a co-host. I wish we had like a pitchfork that we could use. Uh, You mean a tuning fork? Oh, yeah, that. A pitchfork. (laughs) We're a main spooky podcast where we talk about main spooky things like uh, true crime, hauntings, cryptids, and today, the dangers of the elements. Yep. As you, uh, we, we like to hike on this podcast. We're big hikers, but we understand that nature's just, you know, a bad couple steps away from killing your ass. It's true, but it's been a long time since I've seen you. It has been a minute. It's been a minute. I was off on a little trip to go celebrate my grandma's 90th birthday in Tacoma, Washington. Happy birthday, grandma. Happy birthday, Mags. We love you. It was a lot of fun. They were like... 130 people so my social anxiety was through the roof i saw some pictures i saw a picture of you it was uh grandma and all the grandkids and you were trying to steal her drink that was my drink actually i had i had a few what was she doing with your drink oh she didn't she i don't know i don't know what she she kind of grabbed it but it's fine was that her way of trying to bait you to get into the photo? Mm, I don't think so. <laughs> she was pretty tired most of the time. Yeah, I imagine if, yeah, once you hit that age. She straight you're... up like had four parties because it was also Easter. And oh, there was shit. all these yeah. dinners that people were taking her to. So like, yeah, it was like a party every day for her. Party every, yeah, jeez that's i would be tired too actually yeah <laughs> grandma's not going hiking with us anytime soon no no uh, my grandma definitely is and she used to be a huge hiker i mean she would go up and down mount rainier constantly oh like that was a main activity she was also an avid skier like she loved going skiing <sighs> and just another fun little uh, picture of who my grandma is so one time um my grandma's house burnt down oh yeah 
So uh, the whole house, everything gone. Yeah. Um, what is the first thing you thought that you would think these people would buy? Skis, of course. <laughs> I was thinking uh, maybe a, a new bed. New. Um, <laughs> they had a blanket, you know. Still food. Um. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. A no, couch, my couch maybe. My grandma has lived a rich life full of many interesting experiences. So, so it's nice to dig that all up. She was also the one, I mentioned this story before, she was also cursed by a gypsy. Yes, I remember this comment. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and I, and I was just sort of like, I think this is a Sam Raimi movie. <laughs> yes, it, ex- it definitely is. <laughs> it's a Sam Raimi movie. She's living it. Maybe she'll just live forever. Maybe that's the curse. Because like, oh, she's, she's no. still pretty going strong. You know? Yeah, I just finished Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. I don't want to live forever. New. No. I learned some things about living forever no. watching that show, and Whoa. it is you don't want it. No, you don't want it. Don't want to live in a suit of armor. No, is that and it? also someday you're just going to come home and your wife is dead and you still can't die. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh. a bad time. It is a bad but, time. Um, it's actually really funny. So you meant, you know, you're talking about your your grandmother and then also talking about skiing so we were i was i was today was one of the days where i had to be in the office and usually when we do that we go and we get lunch as a group uh and my manager and or my supervisor i should say that's more like what she does but um we were all talking about like what's going on and they started talking about skiing and then she was like yeah when i was younger I, you know, we had to go hike Mount Katahdin because my uncle got lost there. And I'm just like, is your uncle Don Fendler? And she's like, yeah, my great uncle is Don Fendler. Crazy <laughs> and I was like, crazy stuff. I was like, we cover, I covered him on the podcast and I read the book and like, <laughs> she, it was like, I, I knew I was like, she has the same last name and I'm like, okay. But I don't want to make the assumption, but she was like, yeah, I've never met a Fendler that I wasn't related to. <laughs> so it's a pretty tight name. I, I think so. And, um, you know, it was really funny. So her grandfather is Don's twin, was Don's twin brother. And, you know, he would always be like, yeah, I was the one that didn't get lost. And nobody cares about me. <laughs> and also, I think he was a little bit, she said he was a little bitter about it because Don eventually, because they're both from New York, and Don eventually moved to Tennessee. Okay. While her grandfather stayed, like, came and lived in Maine. But okay. Don was the one that was famous here in Maine. He's like, I don't want to live here. <laughs> I, don't want, <laughs> I don't want to do this. But it's also very funny that this happened today because it actually is sort of kind of tangentially related to... Mount Katahdin. Mount Katahdin and today's topic. Oh boy. You're I don't think you're gonna like this. No, I'm definitely not gonna like um, this. I do wanna give a humongo shout out because shout out because Humongo shout out I so I I heard about this while I was uh, researching a- the Ayla Reynolds case and when I actually started researching this, there's nothing. There is a dirge. Not a dirge. Uh, uh, the opposite of a dirge. There's like nothing. There's nothing. What's There's a dirge? A dirge. Or I'm thinking uh, a dirge. I'm thinking of a deluge. Sorry. Which is a flood. Um, so I'm thinking of... Wow. I, I'm I thought a dirge was a barge. <laughs> Maybe it is. We got a barge uh, worth of information. I was thinking of a deluge. It's not a, it's not a dirge. It's not a deluge. It is a... Um, Minuscule? Very small amount. It is a desert. An information desert. 
like I found one or two, like I found one thing that was actually, one article that was legible, two that were locked behind paywalls. Legible? So what, everything else was just like? There was like one that I could not read. It was so, it was so aged. Mm, I could not read it. So, in comes the University of Maine library system. They had a collection where they were interviewing David Priest, who was a game warden in Baxter State Park, and he was interviewed like he was interviewed and he talked about this case, but also had they have a collection of Im- like oh my god, they everything, like even like the day-to-day updates of this case. And I was like I have never been happier when researching a case that it was just sort of like it came to me on like shining wings. Okay. Shining like beautiful so wings. huge shout Descended out. Descended from the heavens to bestow upon B a well-researched episode. episode. So yeah, 10 out of 10. Support your libraries. Support your, you know, your local library. Support school libraries. Like, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. Libraries are important. They give us lots of information that the internet sometimes doesn't have. So, since the first known death in 1933. Ever? Oh. <laughs> uh, on Mount Katahdin. So the first death in Mount Katahdin, the first known death was in 1933. It has claimed over 60 lives. Damn. Okay. okay. We once covered the miraculous story of Don Fendler, and yes. that is in my notes, and he happened to come up at lunch today. So I was like, it's, it is fortuitous. It has been, it is fortuitous. It's an omen. It's been blessed sign. by the heavens. Yes. So Don Fendler survived the tre- treacherous terrain of the 5,269 foot mountain. However, not everyone who is lost is lucky enough to be found 60 folks to be specific hmm? are not lucky enough. oh yes 60 in particular and we're gonna talk about two of them one beautiful weekend in august of 1969 you hate it to be a beautiful weekend, weekend. for a bad story yep 1969 great year that's 20 it was the day of the divorce it was beautiful out. <laughs> That's nearly 26 years after Don's ordeal on the mountain. The Mott family was visiting Baxter State Park from their home in Rochester, New York. Which is actually interesting because Don was also from New York. Interesting. Uh, So that's, so if you're from New York, maybe don't come to Baxter State Park. That's, that's the lesson for today. It was not the first time that the Mott family had gone camping. George Mott and his wife, and literally I don't know her name because it just said Mrs. George Mott. And you can tell that these are from the 60s because nobody gives a fuck about the woman's name. George Mott and his wife. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of frustrating. Like, I, And I read several articles. Nothing. Zip Zilchanada. They took their children. They had taken their children, George, Robbie, age 17. His nickname was Robbie, age 17, Martha, 15, Gregory, 11, and Timothy, 3. On excursion, an excursion, they had taken these, their four children, on excursions for two weeks every summer for years. Like the last decade, they would bring their kids for a two-week camping trip, typically. What would they do during these excursions? They would take their trailer and they'd go camping. They'd That's hike. Yeah. They'd, 
you know, see what there is to see in the beautiful... Were they a canoeing family? I don't think Activities so. Just well, like you're to about to around. find out that um, mm. they're a little limited. This year, or yeah, this year was to be no different with one of Martha's friends tagging along. After the family had been camping at the state park for just over a week, George Sr. and his wife left the children behind at the campsite for an overnight trip to Chimney Pond and to the summit of Mount Katahdin. Very cool. Okay. I'm putting... Here we go. Are you ready for this? I'm re- Well, like, I'd like to know, okay, so this is an overnight thing, a couple miles. Some elevation, I'm guessing, yeah, also. Yeah, so they're leaving the kids. Yeah, and yeah. And they, the two of them are going. It is worth mentioning that both Robbie and Martha were diabetic, and Robbie Ooh. was also develop- developmentally disabled. I'm unsure of what his diagnosis is because the article's just used a very lots of rude language really? <laughs> you know oh, man. very not first, first calling you know the wife just the wife and then just uh... you know it's the time period so they're using the r word you know well well that was their that was I their know. term at i'm that not time. using it though because no, i don't like it. it here uh it was also noted that robbie's mental age was closer to seven to nine so despite that, the Mots trusted Martha and her friend to watch over the boys because historically they had been well behaved. I believe they would have had to have done this before then, if they're this confident about it. I or do feel, people I just don't know, man. do people just kind of walk into the woods and feel like, yeah, I got this. Yeah. You know, so no and prep. maybe they were also thinking like this is a family camp. They're at a family campground. You know, there are other people around. You know, that's actually a very interesting point you're bringing up. Is that when we normalize a situation and make it seem friendly, we go into things less prepared to actually handle the reality of it. Mm-hmm. Like, Which is, yeah. you have a developmentally disabled child, mm-hmm. and he and his sister both are severely diabetic and require insulin once a day and cannot miss meals. Right. Right. Like, this is all information. I'm not blaming this these parents, but, like, this is not something I would ever feel comfortable doing. I would just, uh, I guess I would have to feel like, what's how prepared am I for the situation? If I'm bringing everything with me that I absolutely need. Um, uh, what year was this again? 69. 69? Well, I mean, you'd have some radio then, wouldn't you? Maybe it'd be too big to lug around. I don't know. Yeah. Actually, yeah, you're probably right Yeah, so there. no way to come. Flares, whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Be prepared. So, to their horror, when they arrive back to camp, both Robbie and Timothy are missing. Oh, no. The girls had reported the two boys missing around 8.30 p.m. It's interesting because some are, like, articles written by the same person would say that they reported them missing at 8 p.m. Others said 5. I think 5 was the last time the girls saw them. Hmm. But their last known sighting in the camping area was around 7 p.m. So I think someone, the girls saw them last at 5. And Other campers at, last saw them yeah. at 7. And then they were seen about 100 yards away from their family's trailer. They had asked if, they had asked if they could go for a walk. And the two girls were like, oh yeah, absolutely. Just, you know, stay, stay close by. A search was instigated fairly quickly because temperatures had already dropped to below 40 degrees, even though it is August. And the insul- uh, the Mott's advised that Robbie had a history of going into insulin shock if he missed a meal or his daily dose of insulin. 
including in the search were Company C of the 262nd Engineers, Maine National Guard of Millinocket, the search and rescue team of the Dow Air Force Base of Bangor, the Millinocket search and rescue team, the East Millinocket search... So there's the Millinocket Search and Rescue Team and the East Millinocket Search and Rescue Team, Mm -hmm. the Brunswick Civil Air Patrol, mobile feeding units from Penobscot County Civil Defense, so they can feed all of these people, Mm -hmm. game wardens, Baxter State Park Rangers, state police, helicopters from Loring Air Force Base, fish and game department planes, and many volunteers made up of locals and those staying at the campsite. Quite a deluge of personnel. Mm -hmm. Eventually, over 200 personnel was the word I used. So, like, (laughs) official personnel and 300 volunteers were helping to try and find the mob boys. Oh, yeah. Big big, uh, response from the community. So, that's awesome. Huge response. And, yeah, yeah, you'll see later. We saw that with Don Fendler. 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 Yes, Fendler, too. Yes. The Sunday after the boys went missing, so they go missing on Friday, that Sunday... A birch tree was found with the name Robbie printed on it around five feet from the ground, which is about Robbie's height. He, Yeah, for a 17-year-old, he was very small. Hmm. He was only five feet tall. Yeah. It was found by geologist Dabney Caldwell's 11-year-old son. I think he was he was working for the state of Maine. I think he was included in this, and he brought his son with him. So his son sees this tree, and he's like, the name Robbie is written on a tree right there. <laughs> uh, so... The printing was deemed to be fresh, and though the trail seemed undisturbed, the area was thoroughly searched. An alert was sent out to the other search parties within the vicinity, but no other traces were found. It's so damn um, eerie. It's really creepy. It's really creepy. It's like, oh, they wrote their name here. Still no sign. There was no question that Robbie could have cared for his younger brother as he had taken survival training classes. I assume that since the family did a lot of training or a lot of camping, they sent him to get this training. As the days wore on, the possibility that he could slip into a coma became more real. Mm. Mrs. Mott started to believe that her sons had been kidnapped. There, and every single article I read mentioned that their father was a research physicist for Xerox. What the fuck do you... Do you... <laughs> I don't know. So Xerox actually put a lot of... Like, they helped... They did a lot to try and... Um, Wait, what is a research physicist I doing don't know. for Xerox? What, I... what other... Fig, what, don't they just figure out how to Xerox and that's it? I don't know. It's Jackson. like, we've mastered it's it. It's 69. I don't know. I don't know what he would be doing. But they did... They're really they... just trying to expand the market. They're like, no, we might want to make rockets. Let's hang on to this and guy. They, maybe. So they um, they sent a lot of people to volunteer. They, they put a lot of money into helping the search parties and things like that. Game warden David Priest had claimed that, quote, we were almost completely baffled as to their whereabouts. We have exhausted virtually all possibilities in a four square mile area, unquote. A handwriting expert claimed that the writing that they found could not have been created by Robbie, despite the family saying that the print was similar to him because, quote, in my opinion, the style in which this was done is not his style. It was done fast and lined up and indicates method and habit on the part of the writer. I.e., that's unquote, I.e., he couldn't have done it because of disability, his disability. So you can take that however you want. So I was thinking that but i didn't say that because if i'm just like uh, yeah. i was taking it at face value for like this to be a thing but i was also like can he write that the parents said to them mm-hmm. it looks like his handwriting they okay. see his handwriting more often okay. but 
couple other things is um, the fact that <laughs> in in more recent years, um, handwriting analysis is uh, bunk science. Uh-huh. And but well, you can't um, figure out your personality through how big your J loop is or whatever <laughs> when you're writing cursive. <laughs> What does my A's tell me about, about my, my chances of success? Correct. However, on the on the other side is Robbie was only five feet tall. So it would probably have been very physically difficult for him to write his name clearly, like if he's reaching up. Hmm. I think that if it's matching his handwriting, I think that that's... His parents say it's matching his handwriting. The handwriting expert says... But he's disa- he's mentally disabled. How could he? <laughs> I, I'm going with the parents on this that's one, I think. That's, that's how I feel. That is how I feel. And the other thing is the other boy is three. <laughs> so he's yeah. obviously not doing it. Yeah. The weather continued to hamper efforts to find the boys, making it dangerous to search on foot and difficult to see anything from the air. As we talked about in the um, Don Fendler story, Katahdin is dangerous. Like, this area is dangerous if you step off the path. When I was researching, I also found, like, there was a woman who was hiking the Appalachian Trail. And she went off the trail to go to the bathroom. And she got lost and she died. Yeah. it's um, Like, it's so... You can get really turned around when you go off trail. Like... If you're doing that, you have to really know, like, what you're doing or, like, leave clues as to where you should be and be consistent mm-hmm. about it. Uh, because, yeah, you can really, you can really fuck yourself up. Yeah. And so, and I was, the articles were saying, like, there's, it's raining heavily and men are still going out and they're coming back completely. Again, this is actually what happened with Don Fendler. They're coming yeah. back completely soaked, getting new like get it like trying to dry off as best as possible going back out yeah because we have to find these kids after five days talks of cutting back the search to just 30 persons <sighs> started happen they were like okay you know if we don't find them by wednesday we're cutting back from 500 people to 30 <laughs> and they eventually said if another 10 days passed we're ceasing everything all like it's not going to be a search yeah. and rescue it is a recovery act yeah doctors believed that if robbie had survived that first night he they probably would have been able to survive on their own for 10 days at most mm. a man from skowhegan actually noted that he may have seen the two boys but otherwise they found footprints that couldn't be linked to the boys Exactly 10 days after their disappearance, Robbie and Timothy Mott's remains were found one half mile from the Katahdin Lake Trail, only two miles south from the campground where they had been staying. The boys were found about 15 feet apart on a grassy knoll, and the only items that were missing were Timmy's saddle shoes. Dr. Norman Nickerson was called to the scene, and he said no foul play was involved, but declined to estimate how long that they had been dead beyond saying that it was probably quote unquote quite some time they were eventually taken for a formal autopsy and their official cause of death was ruled as exposure and most they had most likely passed away between three to five days of them becoming lost oh it sucks this is upsetting yeah 
This is, to this day, the largest search for a missing child in the state of Maine. And per a 1979 interview with the retired David Priest, the Mott case affected me more than any other case because there was such a, it was such a sad situation. There was a developmentally disabled child, that's not what he said, that's what I'm saying, and a very young child involved. It took us such a long time to find them. It took us close to 10 days to find them. We had bloodhounds, state troopers. I think that that was the largest search, one of the largest searches ever conducted in the state of Maine. We had the National Guard, airmen, and a tremendous crowd. The area where they were found, I was convinced from the start that they must be in that area. I had crews that searched the same area every day. There had been search crews within 70 feet of them, those two boys. The way we would search, we would spot trees, so the next time we would put a man on the spot and spread out and comb the area. I think intuition pay, played a little part in thinking that the boys were there. I always felt that I had to sit down with a map and figure where people might go to if they were lost. It is a natural tendency after they have traveled a while that they would go downhill because it's easier traveling. Mm -hmm. With the boys, they would have thought had to go up quite an incline to go anywhere else where they... He speaks, but like some of his words are a little weird because these are transcripts that I was pulling right. from. They would have had to go up an incline to gone anywhere else that where they did did go another <laughs> the thing that made me suspect that they gone, had gone anywhere else where did did go yeah. where they another did another thing go. that made me suspect that they had gone in that direction was one of the bloodhounds took a trail after a ways the tr of the, one of the troopers was convinced that it was a bear trail there were a lot of bears in the area because the dog didn't react the way that he thought it should. I guess I was so involved because the whole thing was dumped in my lap and I had to make the decisions to where the searches would go and how far they would go, unquote. And then also, imagine having to make the call like, to, we have to cut, like, right. I I don't envy this guy's no, position that no, he was no. in. Yeah, I really like, don't. There's tough calls on the resources. It's like, yeah, I, and I guess have a sober reality to, to the situation. Yep, and there were like there were he in the collection that the school that the university had. There were letters from you know the Mott parents thanking him, letters from the governor. There also were um, it was really interesting to see like newspaper clippings and also like letters that people sent him with tips on them. People just mailing tips in. Yeah, kind of being huh. like, "Have you checked this location?" Or I think I may have seen them at this location. It was really interesting. So people were very involved in this. Which is Absolutely. Interesting. I mean, like... People were, yeah. And I think, again, a three-year-old's involved. And also, like, I feel like there was also a very a preciousness around Robbie as well. Because if he had been... If he had been a neurotypical 17-year-old, they'd probably be like, okay, he might be able to survive. Like, in this case, they're both two very vulnerable boys. Yeah, I was going to say, like, if there was... I wonder if... If something like that happened today, if it would be the same response. That's a great question. I just think we treat these populations worse now yeah. than when we decided, hey, let's all rise up to care for the people that are getting hurt. Yeah. After the boys' remains were returned to the family, they were cremated. The Mots requested that their ashes be spread in Baxter State Park on Mount Katahdin. However, their request was denied. 
as it would be in violation of the trust regulations that were put in place when the land was turned over for use as a state park by is, Governor Baxter. Isn't that a little messed up to scat? I don't... I'm... <laughs> Look, I know we don't have their wishes. That feels weird, <laughs> weird. though. Yeah. I mean, I... Because I was telling you a little bit about a podcast We found that... them. Put them back. Yeah, well, because um, one of the oh, podcasts I, I listened to, Let, Let's Go to Court, I was listening to it today, and they were covering a case that, like, I had forgotten about, but, you know, this girl, she had, you know, she had been murdered, and they found her in her neighbor's house. Her mom eventually bought that house. Why? <laughs> the fuck? Yeah, they were, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, you don't know what's going to make people feel better. You know, her being like, you know, it's the last place my daughter would. I I don't know, man. Like, it's, (sighs) people do strange things. So I I, I kind of feel like it probably made them feel better. It was their first, it was their first time at Baxter State Park. So it's not like they had any real connection besides the fact that that's where their sons died. Um, Also... The thing I was, because I was talking about this with Allegra last night, like, they left that 15, their 15-year-old sister in charge. You know she has guilt. She probably had guilt till the day she fucking died. Absolutely. Or even if she's still alive today. Like, I feel like that probably took, if she does it, it took a lot of therapy. (laughs) You know? Absolutely did. (laughs) uh, I, that's, that's the end of what I have of this story but it's and the reason why I wanted to talk about this is because there's like nothing like I said it's very hard to find anything but it it is very curious that yeah you the largest search and there's and you don't have really available records it's it's, I mean you have to go to these archives it sounds like yeah you have to go to newspapers.com the times New York Times has an archive of it the New York Times headline was Diabetic 17 found. <laughs> and I was like, he has a name. Diabetic. <laughs> Diabetic found. <laughs> it's. Found where and how? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really sad. And it's, it's so different from how things played out with the Don Fendler case. But it's, sad, it's, yeah. I feel like. It's also important to talk about because I think people do get very comfortable and they don't realize just how dangerous. Like, it's the wild. <laughs> it's part of the... It is the yeah. wild. No, exactly. It's like, you got to be prepared, uh, even if you're just going for a small trip or whatever, or a hike up and you're not bringing much. It's like, bring water. You don't know what's going to happen. I bring always, a snack. Bring water. Bring a snack. And if you're going for a long while, bring a pack. Just yeah. emergency make sure shit. your make sure your phone is charged. The thing is, even if you like, thermal blanket, it would save your life. Also, these days you can. I think you could call nine one one even if you're out of range. Mm-hmm. So always, you know, making sure that that's possible. They also will still ping your location. So making sure that you're charged, then that's also good for you as well. Yeah, and I mean, if you're really desperate, light a section of forest on fire. But, oh, please don't do that. <laughs> that's not good. But yeah, I mean, it would effectively find you. Is that wrong? Yes. Katahdin is... So, Allegra and I were talking, because we're trying to get back into hiking again. Like, you know, we go into hibernation, and then I said that I would like to go 
I would like to spend at least an hour a week in nature, like unfettered. And that could include hiking. It can include just us going for walks. I remember down to we Bull were Moose. chatting about <laughs> this. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, whatever it is, I want to just, I want to do stuff out in the out of doors. And how has it been now that you're a little more, more doing it consistently? It's been pretty good so far. Yeah. yeah. And, um, but we, I was saying, cause I was like, I want to actually, I would like to start, building my hiking skill so instead of just doing the same ones that we do like i eventually want to do like the bubbles in acadia which has like the rungs and stuff like it's actual like climbing up the rocks i really want to do that sort of stuff um and i said that i would one day love to do the entire appalachian trail like (laughs) i'm saying i'm saying like Maybe like in my forties, like this is a it's like a bucket list. Right, right. This is I would like to build up, up to. to that. Yeah. And um, one of the things that they, you know, I went on their website just to sort of like, like what, you know, I think that if I would do this, it would not be a, I'm doing it like we're we're gonna just go do it next weekend. Like it's gonna be, I'm gonna take a couple years to like accurately plan this. Of course, and yeah, you don't wanna. Yeah. Most people go south to north. And there's a reason for that. It's because Mount mm-hmm. Katahdin is the hardest part. Mount Katahdin alone is the hardest part of hiking the Appalachian Trail. I hiked through uh, a portion of Pennsylvania and that was kind of miserable. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that's part of what like also made me think about wanting to do that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like they say you should only do north to south if you are a experienced hiker. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's definitely the case. Like that makes a lot of sense. And I think the festival, so there's like an Appalachian Trail festival that happens every year. Yeah. Uh, start of the spring season, I guess. Um, and yeah, it starts in Georgia and it'll be like a big week long party and like people will just like intermittently start hiking on up. Yeah. You know? They do they do trail names. Oh, <laughs> What would your trail name be? If I had, if so, if I had a trail, yeah, well, like, well, no, if you're hiking the Appalachian Trail, you get a trail name, you pick it. Oh, yeah, it's it's your name. Hmm. I'd be Blue Bear. Be Blue Bear. I think it would probably be. It would probably be like Goldenrod. Goldenrod. Yeah. So there's a whole thing with um. If if I highly recommend it for anybody that like likes naturey things, likes plants, herbalism, whatever. It's called braiding sweetgrass, and there's a beautiful chapter on the um, interconnectedness of goldenrod and then asters, which is a flower. So it's they're golden purple, and they usually grow together, and they have a symbiotic relationship. And so that was mine and Allegra's colors for when we eloped. And so we, that's like our, like, that's my plant that I go to. So I would probably say goldenrod. (laughs) I dig it. I dig it. No, this is uh, cool. I've always also wanted to hike the Appalachian Trail, but yeah, it's sort of like a huge time commitment to do. Yeah. It's five to seven months. Yeah. My um, friend did a, I think he did all of it actually, or a good portion of it. And yeah, you have to like organize, um, because you can't just carry all of your rations that you'll have with you at one time. Yeah. So you have to organize like pit stops where you load up. Yeah. Or yes. I think there's like a service that you could reach out to even that helps like get another set of rations to you yeah. at different checkpoints. Um, and also <laughs> you're not checking in, I think, in a certain amount of time to go see where you're yeah. at. Yeah. Um, 
but that seemed like a really it's kind of seemed like the bougie way to handle the yeah, Appalachian Trail. Yeah, it is. I mean, they've got, yeah, they've also got campsites and stuff. Would so. you do those lean-tos that they do? Because all across it, they have these, like, um, shack lean-tos. Yeah, I saw I saw some photos. Yeah. Some people, like, are fine with that. Other times people are like, yeah, you run into some creeps, though. So. Yeah, I think that's the thing. There's also, I, I, there have been, I've, I've heard, I remember some cases from, like, when I used to listen to, um, when I used to listen to My Favorite Murder, there was a couple that they talked about that were, like, camping related. And mm. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> maybe not. No. Maybe not. Uh, but I have another question for you. Mm-hmm. What do you make of the name Robbie being written into a tree? Mm. So I think that it was Robbie that did it. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, like, I guess a, a an attempt to signal uh, i'm here or i've been yeah, here because i also so if he's five feet tall i guess like it would be like at i don't i don't know at eye level because i know they were trying to say like but it's too tall for him i'm like but it's at five foot so it's at five feet i think it would kind of make sense that he'd do it right in front, in front of, of his, his face. face yeah like and if it matches his handwriting, I guess that like carving into a tree is going to look a little different. Yeah. But if it feels like, okay, this seems like the same structure of how they're how putting together the letters. Yeah. Like I, I trust the parents on that. So to me, that just seems like they're trying to mark where they've been and maybe, or I think it's interesting signal that they to other didn't people see that there weren't more. Yeah. I'm also surprised that they didn't. So, Timmy's shoes were missing. They didn't find his shoes. They never found the shoes. Well, I'm no. not surprised about that. You know, it's like little shoes just little sh- yeah, they're scatter probably away. Very they tiny. Get, yeah, they could they could just be anywhere. I am surprised though. Like they covered this four mile square four square mile area and like missed the people by like in the middle of this whole thing. Yeah. Of the grid, so that's heartbreaking. I don't know. They're. I think it's, if anything, even even all these years later, I think when you're out in the wilderness, n- nature is not always your friend. You should be prepared for anything, and you should not feel as comfortable in nature as you do at home. And I gotta say, B, you know, even uh, if you are comfortable in nature, and you might be suited to nature like an animal, mm-hmm. maybe you're not. Anyway, here's the next mainism. Hey, hey, it's a mainism. This is actually something that um, Allegra sent to me. It was an interesting little article. It's not really like a thing that's in Maine. It's a thing that is sort of just part of part of the history of Maine that I think is interesting. It's about Maine's continuous or uh, past attempts to reintroduce caribou back into the state. They've done this, I think, about like three times and each time ended in failure. So there's been a couple attempts in history, well, in the history of Maine Mm -hmm. uh, and restoration projects here dating as back, far back to the like 60s, 1963 Mm -hmm. here. Okay, look, we're right in We're We're right right in in the pocket. We're in the pocket here. So Maine... 
apparently used to be full of caribou, but it were they were hunted out of the area or migrated out of the area. Aww. So they were trying to reintroduce this native popu- well, native population Nation. back to Maine. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did it in a couple times, but ultimately all of the attempts failed. So in 1963, they, it's actually pretty interesting. There was sort of a, a swap, a wildlife swap. Imagine, you know, you go down to get down to a market and you got Canada. They're, they're willing to give you all this caribou. And you're out here with your 320 grouses. <laughs> and you're like, hey. Is that what we're swapping? Yeah, we're swapping that. So Maine sent over 320 grouses. And uh, Canada sent over 24 caribou. Wait, wow, that's... Does that seem like a little unfair balance? That is, again, I just watched Full Metal Alchemist. That is not an equivalent exchange. No, I don't know. (laughs) Well, I mean, I get maybe it is. A grouse isn't that big, you know, compared to a caribou. I guess we're doing this in weight, you know? (laughs) Have you ever seen the video? 300 grouse equal 24 caribou. caribou. Have you ever seen the video that's just sort of like, what weighs more? A pound of, or a kilogram of feathers or a kilogram of steel. Oh, it's they, the kilogram of steel. <laughs> and they have that idiot that's just like like getting ex- this explained to him over and over again. Yeah. By, I they're, feel so they're bad both for a kilogram. him. But well, it's steel. It's heavier. It's yes, a, but they're both a kilogram. Both a <laughs> and he's like, he's visibly upset at the end. And then at one point his friend's like, it's okay if you don't know. Okay. <laughs> like you can get that's it. What I think of now. It feels so. It that's... was so sad. It's like that's how I feel all the time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so some of these, uh, the six were males, eighteen were females, uh, and they were pregnant. So they had a pretty good chance here of mm-hmm. maybe introducing it, but it didn't work out. Aww. The caribou. They didn't really understand what happened, but probably they just kind of disappeared. No one really knew what was going on. So you'd think the problem here is like, okay, we definitely need a little bit more information. So then on a second attempt in 93, Maine again brought some caribou from Canada um, and fitted all of these with radio collars so that they'd have more <laughs> detailed little collars. They have little collars to communicate back to base camp to see uh, if like, you know, what kills them or what happens to them, you know? Basically, yeah, they all died uh, or just left. They just, like, fucked off. Like they went back to Canada? I think so. Which kind of makes sense, honestly. I... There's no border patrol for caribou. (laughs) No, exactly. It's like, I'm not going to ask him for his papers. But it is kind of silly to think, like, these are coming from Newfoundland. Not very far. No. If we're thinking about like distance from Maine. So it's kind of silly to think, oh yeah, this this caribou who I've moved slightly down 300 miles away from its previous destination is just going to decide to stay put. That was my weather app alert for some reason. Oh God. No, it wasn't a pipe bomb. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then there's also some st- some speculation. It's like, we don't have the right diet for them anymore in this area. I don't know if that's true. Hmm. Like, with, I feel like caribou would be able to to handle how being diff- in yeah, this. How different is their diet from like a deer or a moose? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, exactly that. So it's like, I think that they could 
easily get and they like, just acclimate to I this. I love the fact that they just fucked off. They were I, like, I straight hate up, them. straight up. I think I they just fucked off. <laughs> it's like this is the custody agreement between Canada and Maine, and Canada and the the, the, the kids don't give a fuck. <laughs> like, no, I want to live with Dad. <laughs> there's there's a lot of concern of like this project was very expensive to ship caribou down. I imagine. Yeah, and like. And also outfit them with fancy collars. And if outfit them with fancy collars. And like, for the most part, yes, that some did leave. But a lot of them died from predators. Bears, wolves, coyotes. Mm. Uh, and also just disease. Like, so there is a lot. Maybe there was a string of bad luck with all this. But like, the introduction of, of caribou really didn't work out at all. So uh, by 1993, well, after after the final failure of this project, basically the group that was in charge of the restoration effort to bring back Caribou just said, we don't have enough money to do this. <laughs> like, we cannot do this. We cannot continue time. doing this. Yeah, it's like, this isn't going to work. And I, it's like, I think the data probably that they got yeah. from the radio callers was enough to be like, yeah, this isn't going to. But you know what they say, third time's a charm. It's Schrodinger's third time. <laughs> Man. Put the caribou inside the box. Put the caribou inside the box, and then we'll never know. <laughs> Oof. Well, that was a little. That was a fun little ditty after a terrible time. Well, yeah. No, I thought a little history would be interesting, and this is a unique bit of history that I hadn't heard before. So, thought yeah. it appropriate to bring to the table, and also big shout out to Allegra for uh, also sharing that article with me. Mm-hmm. Um, she's always on the hunt she's always on the hunt for the juicy juice uh thank you thank you so much you can listen to us if you are so wait here <laughs> you can listen to us here on a podcast you can also talk to us if you really want We're, at homegrown horror pod at gmail.com uh-huh. and then also on instagram at homegrown horror pod <laughs> You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Preferably can, five stars. Yeah, preferably. But, you know, we love talking to people. So if you have, also if you have stories, if you have interesting links to, you know, these bits of history. Did your grandfather help with the caribou? Yeah. <laughs> Tell us. Tell us. Tell us about your failures or your grandfather's failures. <laughs> Tell us about your family failures. But thank you. Ask us uncomfortable questions. Yes. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.